Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vicini. We are presented by The Athletic today on the show. Cole Huff is going to be joining us a little bit later on. We're going to talk a little bit about Joel Embiid's dominance. We're going to talk some fake trades. Uh, and I might ask him a little bit about uh, this deal that happened earlier today with the Blazers and Clippers that I'm going to talk a little bit about here at the top of the show. So let's dive in. Uh, the Los Angeles Clippers have acquired Norman Powell and Robert Covington for Eric Bledsoe, Justice Winslow, and Keon Johnson. In addition, they will get a future second-round pick that I believe is a 2025 second-round pick for their troubles. Now, uh, it's an interesting deal for a number of reasons, and I kind of just wanted to talk a little bit about it. We're going to post this video up on YouTube. It's going to go up a few hours before the podcast goes live. So go to uh, Game Theory Podcast with Sam Vicini on YouTube. Hit that subscribe button and you'll be able to get this before anyone else does uh, on the podcast. But let's just kind of jump into why I think this is a really good deal for the Clippers and I want to say maybe a little bit questionable for the Blazers. It's not a terrible deal for the Blazers. I understand what they were going for philosophically. I just don't know that I'm completely there with it in terms of the evaluation. So let's start with the Clippers. The Clippers get Norman Powell and Robert Covington. Norman Powell, even though the Blazers have not been very good this year, Norman Powell, you can't lay any of that at his feet. He's averaging like 19 points, three rebounds, two assists. He's shooting 45% from the field, 41% from three, 80% from the line. He's efficient. He's a shot creator. Everything that the Blazers could have asked of him whenever they acquired him for Gary Trent, Norman Powell has done. He's a starting quality player in the NBA. He's a really, really good uh, rotation player that I think fits on a lot of contenders because he's six foot three with seven foot wingspan. He can defend multiple positions. He's strong. Um, as long as they're not overly large players, uh, he's tough and physical. I think that he fits exactly what the Clippers look for with guys that will be fitting around Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. I also like the idea of his roster fit. Uh, just kind of given the guys surrounding him currently. This team really needed more backcourt help. I've been surprised that they've even gotten what they've gotten out of Eric Bledsoe so far this season. Uh, but Norman Powell is like an undeniable upgrade on Bledsoe. Uh, he does have about four years and you know over $70 million left on this contract. So it's a deal that... You know, the Clippers under Steve Ballmer uh, certainly can afford to take on and uh, certainly, you know, given his wealth, should be in the market to take on because not everyone, uh, I would imagine, in the NBA was all that interested in Norman Powell, despite the fact that he is a really good player because of that contract situation. But Powell fits with basically everyone on this Clippers roster. Uh, he fits really well in the backcourt with Reggie Jackson as kind of a two-headed shot creation monster. He fits really well next to Terrence Mann uh, due to Terrence Mann being able to make up for some of the deficiencies that Norman Powell might have. Uh, you know, I think he's going to fit really well, uh, maybe even as a sixth man, you know, microwave scorer off the bench whenever Kawhi Leonard and Paul George get back. And this is a Clippers team that, Somehow, some way, you know, with Ty Lu holding it together, like with gum and a paperclip and shoestring, uh, they're competing for a playoff berth, for a play-in berth. Like, they're right there in the mix in the West. So uh, the fact that this team has a 500 record, 
without essentially Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. It's remarkable. Norman Powell is another guy that is just a professional basketball player that fits the mold for them. He also kind of fits in terms of what the Clippers have not valued in the past. The Clippers aren't a team that really values a ton of like shot creation for others, right? You look at the players that they've gone out and acquired really outside of Terrence Mann, uh, not necessarily awesome passers like Reggie Jackson for a point guard, not an incredible playmaker passer. He can make some high level reads, but he's more looking for his own bucket. Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, guys that like aren't incredible passers. They're fine passers, but you know, not super high level. Norm Powell kind of fits this mold. Luke Kennard, another guy, you know, more of a scorer than a passer. You can kind of look up and down the roster. Marcus Morris is another guy. Like they really value guys who can create their own shot because they think that they put pressure on the defense at a high level. And Norman Powell is a guy that pressures the defense because of his ability to get his own shot uh, almost whenever he wants. So I really like this acquisition uh, for the Clippers. Like I think they did really, really well here to get Norman Powell because he fits a number of you know different ways that they're competing now and into the future. They also get Robert Covington here. I've been a little bit less of a fan of Covington this year. Uh, you know he has been previously traded for. Uh, two first-round picks famously uh, over the course of this contract that was seen as an incredible value when he was signed to it by the Philadelphia 76ers and then was moved to the Minnesota Timberwolves, was moved down to Houston, then up to Portland. He just hasn't been that good this year. He's been a bit of an inconsistent shooter. He's right around his career mark of 35%. That's always been uh, his thing is he goes through streaks, right, where he's a really good shooter, and then he goes through streaks where he struggles to shoot the ball at a high level. Uh, I don't know that you can necessarily rely on him offensively all the time. Defensively, he is always going to be in the right spot. He's a good rotational defender. I do think that as he's aged a little bit, uh, the on-ball questions because he's always been very long limbed and kind of get leveraged on the ball a little bit and switch scenarios. Uh, I think that those questions have continued to rise, but essentially as a throw in here uh, for the Clippers, if you think of this deal as Norman Powell for Keon Johnson, and then uh, this second round pick for Robert Covington, essentially with Bledsoe and Winslow just being the salary match uh, to make it possible to make these deals happen. Uh, I think he is worth a second round pick. I think he's probably worth a couple of second round picks, to be honest. And this is kind of where the Blazers come in. I wonder if they would have been a little bit better off kind of maybe splitting these guys up in a deal. But I'm sure that from their perspective, what they were thinking philosophically was if we combine these two assets into a single deal, We can maybe get an even better prospect that we evaluate at a much higher level than what we would get by splitting them up. Maybe we'd get a couple of seconds for Robert Covington. Maybe we'd get uh, a late first or a couple seconds for Norman Powell. Instead, let's combine them together. Let's get someone we really like. Is Keon Johnson that guy? I I think is the question. Um, Very polarizing prospect in the 2021 NBA draft. Some teams... Really loved the upside, really loved the athleticism that he brings to the table. Uh, The kid is considered to be an exceptionally high-level human being. Uh, Really, really great kid. Works hard. 
There were some injury questions coming in. He had an injured knee in his senior year of high school, and some teams had a, a few concerns about that. Uh, additionally, his freshman year at Tennessee, he was expected to come in, be this incredible one-and-done prospect. I had him as a top-seven prospect, at the very least, coming into the season uh, on my board. And he struggled at Tennessee quite a bit. Uh, his Some people laid that at the feet of Rick Barnes. Uh, but I think that it was more on Keon's lack of polish offensively, I think is the better way to put it. Uh, the, his handle is still pretty raw. Uh, his shooting is still inconsistent at this point. A lot of what he does is just slashing based off of pure athleticism. And uh, at Tennessee, where the offense wasn't necessarily incredibly well-spaced, you know, we saw some of the flaws come up in his game. Uh, in the G League this year, we've seen a little bit more of that slashing ability because the court is a little bit more opened up for him and he's capable. But we've also seen many of the same concerns come up, uh, even at that level. You know, uh, his passing ability has shown some high-level flashes. He's averaging almost four assists per game, but he's also turning the ball over almost four times per game uh, because they're kind of really letting him have the ball and rock a little bit uh, with the Agua Caliente uh, Clippers G League affiliate. So a lot of the same flaws are kind of here, and that feels a bit concerning, even though he is very, very young for his class. I believe he is still 19 years old. Uh, it's It's a tricky spot. So... In the case of the Blazers, I'm not surprised that this front office, which is still much of the same front office they had under Neil Olshay before he was let go. Joe Cronin right now is the interim GM. I'm not surprised that this front office valued Keon at a pretty high level, it seems like. The reason for that is if you look through their past draft history over the last little while, they've tended to value these guys that have high-level athletic traits that uh, you know may still be coming along in terms of feel for the game. They also tend to value drafting guys really, really young. You look at a guy like Anthony Simons, who's certainly coming into his own, right? You look at a guy like um, uh, you know Greg Brown this year that was selected in the second round, guy with all the athletic tools in the world, still trying to figure out his feel for the game a little bit. Uh, the Blazers do tend to value these guys and they tend to draft a little bit younger thinking that rookies aren't necessarily going to come in and set the world on fire. So you might as well get the guy with the highest level of talent and then try to develop them. I've kind of not necessarily always agreed with that strategy, but it's certainly working out in the case of Anthony Simons, who in many ways, his emergence has allowed Portland the ability to move someone like Norman Powell. They really need to open up minutes for Anthony Simons whenever Damian Lillard and C.J. McCollum get back, right? So I understand what they're going for here on a number of fronts. I This is pure speculation. I have not talked to the Blazers about Keon Johnson, but I, I would speculate just based off of their draft history, they probably had a really high grade on Keon Johnson last year and making this move, combining those two assets together in Covington and Powell to acquire essentially Keon Johnson as their lottery ticket. That says to me that they probably had a very high grade on Keon Johnson last year. The thing is though, that if you're the Clippers, the 
G League scouts, the people I've talked to who have watched, you know, every game of the Agua Caliente, uh, as opposed to me, who's, you know, kind of checking in and out and um, not watching every single minute that Keon Johnson has played this season uh, at that level. The, the people I've talked to that I trust have kind of said that BJ Boston has passed Keon Johnson by as their, you know, best prospect on that team. And that shows, I think, in a big way, just in terms of, BJ Boston's the guy that's gotten the opportunities whenever injuries have come up with the Clippers, whenever COVID kind of wreaked havoc on, uh, you know, the team's roster and they had to fill in guys, right? Like every team in the NBA has. Uh, BJ Boston's been the guy that's gotten the chances. Keon Johnson's played 15 games so far. BJ Boston's played 37. You know, he's been a part of their rotation at times throughout the course of this season. Uh, the people I've talked to have said that, you know, they thought BJ was probably the better prospect in terms of their hierarchy of prospects. So the Clippers, they didn't have to give up the best prospect they had in the 2021 NBA draft, even though they drafted Keon Johnson higher than BJ. Uh, BJ was a guy that always had the high level talent. Uh, he just didn't have a good season at Kentucky last year for whatever reason. I think that, you know, we might look back on the 2021 draft and think that. COVID just completely wreaked havoc on the evaluation and um, wreaked havoc on kids' lives and didn't get uh, didn't give them a chance to show all that they were capable of. You know, in the case of BJ Boston, um, the Clippers look like they found something in a really young player on the wing who can provide value. Um, so yeah, the, the Clippers acquire two guys that will be a part of their rotation moving forward who will help them now. Uh, Norman Powell will certainly help them into the future. Robert Covington is on an expiring contract. We'll see if the team decides to bring him back in the offseason. But, uh, you know, if Kawhi Leonard and Paul George make a crazy comeback at the end of the year here, you know, Paul George, I think we would expect to come back at some point. Um, you know, Ty Lu said that they're going to reevaluate him in a couple of weeks uh, following this elbow injury. And then Kawhi Leonard, I, I think that Ty Lu said last night they're not expecting him back at any point soon. But, um, you know, certainly I think that the more you can do to position the Clippers to be in uh, a good situation to make a run, if Kawhi Leonard does come back, you're probably um, setting yourself up for success. So uh, I really like this deal for the Clippers a lot. I think they did really well. They didn't give up their best prospect in the 2021 draft um, in order to acquire two guys that I think will help them this year for the Blazers. I understand the philosophy. I think I'm a little bit lower on Keon Johnson than what some people are. Uh, but I understand why this particular organization, given their uh, history of evaluating prospects in the recent history, might be a little bit higher on Keon and decided to uh, prioritize him in a trade over maybe some other prospects that they could have acquired in other deals. I don't hate it for the Blazers. I just think it's a very high variance kind of trade that uh, you're essentially pinning all of your hopes onto this one asset now, who is a polarizing asset to begin with. Um, we'll see if it works out for them. But let's get to Cole Huff, and maybe I'll ask him a little bit about this deal, and I'll ask him about uh, you know some other kind of deals that could happen this week now that we're within one week of the NBA trade deadline. This is the deal that finally maybe opened the floodgates a little bit, and then uh, we'll see where it goes from there. We're talking about players securing the bag. 
when they get drafted in June. I need to tell you about securing your internet connection with NordVPN. What is a VPN? It's a virtual private network. A VPN reroutes your traffic through a remote server, encrypting it in the process. This is going to hide your location from your ISP, hackers, and from other people looking to get your data. Everybody knows that I watch as many movies as I can. I think I've probably watched like 40 or 50 this year already. Some movies are blocked in Australia. It's really hard for me to watch them. Uh, for instance, uh, anybody who's tried to get their hands on Godzilla Minus One recently knows that it's basically only available in Japan. And you need a VPN if you want to go to like Amazon Prime or something to be able to watch it. So when I'm blocked from watching a movie in Australia, I just queue up my VPN. I change my location and it unlocks a category of movies from all of my favorite streaming services. As somebody who's always on the go, connecting to public Wi-Fi is a necessity, but it's also just a goldmine for hackers. That's where Nord comes in, creating a secure tunnel for my data to travel through away from prying guys. There are other benefits to Nord as well. Your browsing history is yours and yours alone. Your virtual location is masked from those who seek to track your every move. It's like having a force field around your online identity. NordVPN also goes the extra mile with threat protection. Malware, trackers, dodgy ads, they're all going to get blocked. It's like having a shot blocking big around your devices 24-7. Game Theory is offering an exclusive deal for NordVPN. You're going to get four extra months and up to 75% off subscriptions. Just head to nordvpn.com slash game theory, G-A-M-E-T-H-E-O-R-Y, to claim your account. Plus, with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, you've got nothing to lose and everything to gain. Go to nordvpn.com slash game theory to claim your account, nordvpn.com slash game theory. Guys, I can't emphasize enough uh, how much I use Nord every day of my life. Uh, Nord is a fantastic sponsor for us. So go support Nord. And it's a great product. So nordvpn.com slash game theory. All right. We're back. We're welcoming, welcoming in Cole Huff to the show. Cole, what's going on, man? Oh, man, I appreciate you bringing me on. I feel like uh, I feel like it's been a while, even though we, I think we got on opening day, maybe of the NBA season. Yeah, and, we did uh, opening no night. Thought, yeah, we, we should have. another fantastic day with all the trade stuff going on to get back on. So, I don't man, know. You, uh, I'm feeling good. I'm, I'm happy to be here. You hit the segue perfect because I wanted to ask you. I talked for 15 minutes at the top about this Clippers-Blazers move. Uh, basically, I think it's a really good move for the Clippers. They go out and they get Norman Powell. Steve Ballmer's rich as hell, so like it doesn't really affect him to take on all of the extra money with Norman Powell and all of the extra you know luxury tax that they could be taking on, depending on what they do here with Serge Ibaka, with some of the other guys they have on their roster. Uh the Blazers, I'm a little bit skeptical of this to some extent, but I understand why they went out and they got Keon Johnson because I, he just fits the kind of prospect that this front office has tended to value over the years. Guys that are young and have athleticism like Anthony Simons, Nasir Little, Greg Brown, you know, the story goes on with them, right? What, what was your impression of this whenever you saw that come across the ticker? 
it was a little bit confusing. Um, just like from Portland's standpoint, I wasn't exactly sure what they were trying to do with the trade. But like you said, um, trying to get a young athletic guy to kind of fit the timeline of everyone else. Um, I was thinking that they would have tried to get like a Terrence Mann or maybe even a, a Luke Kennard. Maybe the salaries wouldn't have matched up as well with with uh, with Luke in there. But someone a little more um, developed already further along in the process than a Keon. Um, but, I mean, I, I get what they're doing, especially now that you explain it that way. They're trying to get younger. I know that there's some math involved, too, and they wanted to save some money and, and prepare for the future. Yeah. Um, and for for the Clippers, I thought it was a, it's, I mean, it's a good deal. There's, there's really no other way to put it, um, both for the now and for the long term, just because, you know, not really too sure if or when Kawhi and Paul George are going to come back. Maybe they do, maybe they don't. But with Norman Powell, you get an immediate upgrade to your offense because their offense has been pretty bad this year. Um, they, I mean, they fight. They get contributions from all over the place. You might get a Reggie Jackson good game and a Morris good game, followed by a Batum good game. It, it kind of comes in, in, in waves. It comes out of nowhere, but it's not really consistent. They're not shooting as well as they did last year. Obviously, like a historic three-point shooting uh, season for them. Um, so I think that this helps in the, the, the immediate, you know, as they're at 500, um, trying to get out of the playing game situation. Maybe it helps with that and they make a final push. And then obviously next year, you know, when presumably everyone is healthy, when, when Kawhi and Paul George are back, you got a bunch of wings. I don't I don't know if they're going to re-sign Covington or not. Maybe they do, but uh, Ty loves to play small ball. You know, if you, if you have Batum, if you have Robert Covington, those are the two. I think they have player options or they're entering free agency with Kawhi, with Paul George. Uh, with Marcus Morris, Amir Coffey has emerged. Like they're, they have a bunch of, of of wings, and you know you can never have too many of those. With especially with how injured the Clippers have been over the past couple of seasons, so I, I think it's a home run deal for them. Yeah, I mean, I think their goal is to try and maximize the 2022-23 season, probably right. Like they're trying to maximize next season as much as they can. Norman Powell's averaging 19 points on. 40% three-point shooting, 45 from the field. He can get his own shot. He fits with the Clippers. Like, it's just a deal that makes a lot of sense to me for them. I, the Blazers, like, I, I wonder if they were kind of thrown by how good Anthony Simons is on some level. Like, I, I don't think this says anything about their long-term vision. Like, I feel like as much as anything, they just needed to clear playing time for Anthony Simons because he's as good as he is now. Like, you can't take that guy off the court after he's averaged like 23 a game for the last 20 games, uh, whenever your team is not really competing. So I wonder if it played that, that played like a significant role. Like to me, I think people like Blazers fans are probably pretty upset. And and I just wonder if they're looking at this deal as, Hey, let's just like reset. Let's get a prospect that we probably really liked pre-draft last year. You know, we don't have to deal with this Norman Powell contract on our books anymore. Um, you know, Robert Covington, we're just getting something small for him. We're combining these two assets. We're getting someone we really like. I, I just kind of wonder if that was kind of the, maybe that's the read on it. Like, I think that's a very favorable read on it for Portland, but I feel like they're getting savaged right now. Like everyone fucking hates this thing for Portland. <laughs> and I'm just like, I, I don't know. I, I don't, I, I don't like hate it as much as everyone else does. I don't like it. Don't get me wrong, but it's just like, Part of it is, too, their development track record with these super young athletic guys is actually pretty good in the past. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, Nasir Little is another one. Who, I mean, he's unfortunately got injured. Um, maybe that is something that, you know, makes them not want to try to get a Terrence Mann or someone that's already a similar size on the wing, can do similar things. You know, that he's really coming along this year. And like you said, I don't think anyone expected for uh, Anthony Simons to take off the way he is. I'm I'm a little bit more interested in what this means now for uh, C.J. McCollum. Um, yeah. it, it seems like, as you pointed out to me before we hopped on, it seems like uh, the, the Dame trade talk has kind of cooled down and that's kind of just his home, at least for the time being. Um, but I'm, I'm, I'm really interested in seeing, you know, what this means for McCollum, if they want to keep him around, if they're going to try to flip him for another piece. What do you think? Yeah, I just saw the Brian Windhorst uh, report on ESPN. Uh, I think it was yesterday or two days ago saying like, that uh, the Pelicans are calling around about really high-level guards. And McCollum was one of the names he mentioned. De'Aaron Fox was one of the names he mentioned. I I mean, the Blazers still have some cap issues that they need to figure out, especially if they want to pay Anthony Simons, which they're going to have to do this offseason in order to keep him around. I don't know. I'm I'm still trying to navigate that. Like, I think it's really possible they move him. Like, I I don't think that trading Norman Powell precludes them from now moving CJ McCollum. I think if the mm-hmm. right deal comes along, they'll probably still go for it, but uh, you know, we'll see. He, has, he still has more years on the, on his books, right? He'll be yeah, McCollum, McCollum still has a couple years. So like it's the, the thing that they need to figure out is they need to figure out a direction and they need to do it. This trade deadline. Like even if you're right. not moving Damian Lillard, maybe until the summer, or maybe if you're not, you know, moving Damian Lillard at all, and you're trying to rebuild around him, you need to make a decision now, okay, do we want to keep Yusuf Nurkic's bird rights on our books because we want to retain him into the future? Do we want to keep Anthony Simons and we think he's a great fit with Damian Lillard? And it's hard because they have an interim GM right now. So like you're trying to make all these plans for the future um, at a real turning point in your organization's trajectory, especially under your franchise's best player in its history uh, in Damian Lillard. So I I don't know. They could go any direction and it would not surprise me at this point. I I just don't think that this deal says like they, they are rebuilding. Like, I don't see that. I think that they might be rebuilding or they might just have seen an opportunity to move Norman Powell and create playing time for Anthony Simons. Yeah, and this this isn't like a, a Washington Wizards situation where, you know, all the fans, all the people around the NBA are calling for them to to blow it up. Um, I I don't know. Maybe that's a whole different discussion. But well, let's let's talk you know, about since, that though because okay. they, they got to blow it up. <laughs> okay, you're you're for them blowing it up. I mean, what are we doing? Like, we don't know if Bradley Beal's staying there long term or not. Like, he has said publicly in the past like hey i'm really interested in staying there but i mean he's starting mm-hmm. to waver on that publicly he just did an interview with nbc sports washington saying like you know i'm giving them every opportunity to keep me or whatever I that doesn't sound that, too that, doesn't <laughs> yeah, sound too sound good great. and that, that that team looks like a mess and then you have uh, spencer dinwiddie coming out in a press conference saying like i tried to lead but it, it wasn't really um, taken, I guess. Wasn't welcome. So, yeah, it wasn't welcome. So he fell back a little bit. And then you had a report about, was it KCP and Montrez Harrell getting into like a little yep. bit of a scuffle? The clutch and boys. Like, yeah, like I think I saw that you wrote that. Like that, 
you, you've, you've been in high level locker rooms. Like that stuff happens, but it's still not a good sign. Right. <laughs> that doesn't mean it's good just because it happens, yeah. you know, because, but, um, I don't, I don't know. I, I feel two ways about it. Like, I feel like they need a serious shakeup because of everything that's going on this season. Um, they're not good. There's problems in the locker room. And, you know, I'm sure like as a Wizards fan and a lot of fans that I've talked to, they're like, they're tired of being in this situation. Like they either want to swing for the fences and, and get some stuff or get some assets and start over. But just being in this situation every year is really annoying to them. But then on the other hand, I'm like, okay, well, if you get rid of Beal, it's I don't know how many free agents are necessarily wanting to come into Washington. Even if you keep Beal, how do you get right. people to come in and, and build around him? I know he hasn't had the greatest season um, as the number one option, and things are going kind of weird, but he's still pretty young. He's still still good. I, I know his, his trade value has, has kind of plummeted a little bit, but I don't know. It's hard to get that type of talent in the room. I wonder if he – kind of goes back to what he was originally saying about how he'll commit to another contract if that changes anything and how they operate or if they're just ready to move on from him. I mean, if he would say he would commit, I would bet you that they would. Like, if he'd tell them privately, like, hey, like, I'm staying here for the long haul. I want the max. I bet you they would do it, and I bet they'd figure out a way to build around him. And, you know, if I'm not reporting this, that he wants this. I have to be very clear about that. Um, but like, if he would go to them and say, Hey, the Spencer Dinwiddie signing hasn't really worked out. Let's, can we move Spencer? Like they'd probably do that at that point. And they'd just try and make it work. Right. Um, mm-hmm. I, it's hard because like a Sashi Brown, who is one of their high end executives uh, with monumental sports, Ted Leonsis's company. He just left the organization today. He's taking a job with the Baltimore Ravens. Um, the Rui Hachimura situation this year was unexpected and he took a lot of time off, took about half the season off to deal with personal issues. That's real valuable developmental time missed for a player that got to the game later in his life. Let's say, you know, coming out of Japan and certainly got to high level basketball later in his life. Um, we really wish the best for Rui and, you know, I've talked to Rui. He's like such a nice human being and a good person. It's just like, if you're an organization, you root the best for the person, but you also rue that this developmental time has been lost for a kid that needs it. And you have to make mm-hmm. difficult decisions. And then Montrez Harrell's a free agent. Like I would imagine that he's probably going to move before the deadline. And then you have KCP and you have Kyle Kuzma and you have Denny Avdia and all of those guys play similar situations positionally, right? And or at you, least three you've of those also guys got, do. Yeah, you've also got Thomas Bryant. You know, you yeah. got Daniel Gafford, like so many players that play the same positions and they're all like stepping on each other's toes. You know what right. I mean? Like none of them is really getting to play 25 to 30 whatever minutes to fully show what they're capable of. I'm sure, you know, I've been in situations before where, you know, if you know that the the next person behind you is coming off the bench as soon as you miss a couple shots or you're not playing well, it's hard to operate like that. And you know, we talk about sacrificing in sports quite a bit. And, yeah, like, it, it works when you're winning, but all that stuff kind of goes out the window when you're in a losing situation. Like, losing magnifies everything. Now people are a little more, you know, selfish with, you know, wanting to play more minutes because someone like a Montrose Harrell is going to be a free agent and they're looking for the next contract. And, you know, all that stuff goes into it. They just have so many, so many players, man. I just don't know. 
I'm sure at this deadline they'll they'll make a couple of moves to kind of you know restore order a little bit and, and clear some things up. But I don't know which direction you go. I don't know which players you choose from from those groups of wings and of bigs and of guards. You know what I mean? So I, I mean we're gonna find out pretty soon. I guess the deadline is in a few days, uh, but that's gonna be an interesting one. Yeah, like you had some weird situations at Creighton, if I remember correctly, just in terms of like having a lot of dudes that could play, right? Because you had like, um, you know, Justin Patton. Wasn't your last year there like the Justin Patton year, right? So like high-level freshman goes 16th overall in the draft. I mean, going into the year, did you guys see that? Like, did you guys see him like exploding in the way he did? So that creates, you know, real questions right in, in terms mm-hmm. of role allocation and everything i think we yeah we had like three or four starters from the season before granted we went to the we went to the nit um they're all coming off the bench like right you know because we had marcus foster come in uh, he finished up his red shirt year justin right. Patton, like there's yeah there's we we're we're extremely talented and we were we we're really good up until our point guard got hurt i think we were like number seven in the nation or something, but that that that's not important for the, for this podcast. But yeah, just having that many that many players, I'm sure a lot of them are alphas as well. Uh, obviously, you know you, you've kind of got to be like that to get to the NBA level. Having that many players, um, you know, they want to win. They also want to, you know, they want what's best for themselves and for their careers, and rightfully so. And and winning, or excuse me, losing kind of just makes all of that a little bit worse. Yeah, it can be real tough. Uh, yeah, the the Wizards, like, it, I, I'd probably look to move Montrez Harrell just because, you know, he, he, if I was him and I was his representation and you've just re-signed Daniel Gafford to an extension, like, I would not be looking to re-sign in Washington if I was Montrez Harrell. So if I was the Wizards, I would move him. If I was um, the Wizards, I'd probably look to see if I could get anything for Spencer Dinwiddie. And I, I would frankly like sit down and have a real conversation with Bradley Beal and say like look we need to have like something of a decision here because if you leave us for nothing in the off season we're fucked <laughs> like that's kind of what it comes down to like mm-hmm. we're fucked so um let's uh let's move on to another team in the east that is in a very Strange uh, situation. Now a pair of teams that are in very strange situations in the Atlantic Division, the Brooklyn Nets and the Philadelphia 76ers. Uh, The newest report from Sean Strania over at The Athletic is that uh, a James Harden, Ben Simmons deal is now a possibility before the trade deadline. That would blow my mind. I can't remember the last time we saw a trade involving two all-stars that... Uh, we'll be moving to another team that, frankly, like the opposing team is likely to play in the playoffs. Like not right. just like, oh, yeah, like, you know, we're the two seed and the other team's the eight seed or the nine seed. They're trying to make a push, you know, whatever. Right. These are two of the best three teams, two of the best four teams in the East. And I I can't figure out the leverage dynamics here. I can't figure out anything. Like, what is your... When you saw that report from Shams, like what was your immediate reaction that a Ben Simmons, James Harden deal could actually happen midseason? I feel like it has to happen at this point. <laughs> I mean, there's been so much smoke around it for so long now and so many reports. And it just feels like what's the point if they're not going to pull the trigger? Maybe there's there's other pieces involved that complicate the deal. But 
for 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 a while now we've heard that you know a James Harden doesn't like the Kyrie Irving situation that seems real um he hasn't figured out his role with the team he was saying that earlier in the year which couldn't possibly you know be getting any better with Durant being hurt and Kyrie coming in and out he's been linked to Philly you know the old Daryl Morey stuff he's had ties with him for a while it just it just seems like it's going to happen um I I don't know where else like if 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 Portland's Damian Lillard is off the table, if if Beal isn't going to get traded and whatnot, like I don't know what else Maury would be be waiting for if if James Harden is right there, and it's it's a weird situation because does Ben Simmons like fit in in Brooklyn? You know what I mean? Like I think James Harden's fit is a little a little clearer um, in Philly. I think he would take yeah. the ball out of out of Embiid's hands a little bit, but maybe. That will uh, keep him be a little more fresh throughout the game. I don't know; wouldn't wear on him as much. Yeah, th- that's ben, what I wanted ben to ask Simmons you about. Brooklyn seems weird. Yeah. It was just like the fit of James Harden in Philly because, like, I almost don't like it because, mm-hmm. like, what Joel Embiid is best at is catching the ball in the mid post, catching the ball on the block, creating his shot that way. He's run more pick and roll this year, like since they've had Tyrese Maxey and. That's probably kept him a little bit fresher, like getting easier buckets, you know, with a real point guard. But, you know, everything that is James Harden, like the epitome of who James Harden is as a player, is like ball screen offense, right? And ball, very ball dominant. He's ball dominant. And I just, it, it it's a weird fit for me. I'm, I'm not saying that like it can't work. Like I'm sure that mm-hmm. I do tend to think that like, when you put two Hall of Famers together, there's just an inherent basketball genius in Hall of Fame basketball players that they figure it out, right? Like they figure out where the other guy's going to be. They figure out how to make it work together. They figure out how to play together. But like the, the conceptual fit in my mind maybe is not as good as what it could like you, be. Maybe. You don't want to take the ball out of Embiid's hands, you know? Yeah. I mean? And I feel like Harden being there wouldn't just take the ball out of Embiid's hands. Like, it would really take the ball out of his hands. And Embiid has MVP level two years in a row. He's so, so good, so dominant. He attracts double teams. He's really developed as a passer, in my opinion, out of the post, out of doubles. Like, I don't don't know how much you want to just take the ball out of of his hands, especially in the half court, when he, he attracts so much attention. And, you know, he's a nightmare for defenses. And... You know, obviously, like you said, it, it could work with James, especially if it were the James that we saw of two years ago, like the, the Houston right. form. It looks like he's slowing down a little bit now. He's, you know, not creating as much off the dribble. You know, athleticism isn't quite there. Um, but it just it, it feels a little bit weird to to want to get the ball out of your MVP's hands. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, there's a real case that Joel Embiid's the best player on planet Earth right now. Like, I'll take a case for Kevin Durant in that regard. I'll take a case for Giannis. If you want to still make a case for LeBron, like, I'm good with that. But, you Mm -hmm. know, if you want to make a case for Jokic, I'm good with that. Like, whatever. There's a group of five or six guys right now where I think you can make a real case. And Joel Embiid is one of them. And James Harden's not one of them. And to put the ball more in his hands, and it just naturally will be more in his hands because of the role that he plays – I'm not saying it's bad. I just, 
I can't wrap my head around it yet. Maybe that's the way to put right. it. And then on the other side, like you bring up the Simmons fit in Brooklyn. I weirdly think that's cleaner. If Kyrie Irving, do you picture him in like a Bruce Brown type of role? Like yeah, like as, as, you know, yeah, short roller, getting to the pain and making decisions. Yeah, almost more. I was gonna say like more like Draymond, right? Like I think okay. he's more that um, brings mm-hmm. the ball up in transition and starts offense early because that's something that Bruce doesn't really do. Like you know, right. grabs and goes, attacks, and then if it slows down, gives the ball off to Kyrie, gives the ball off to Kevin Durant. Um, the other acts is like a second side scorer. Ben is the, uh, you know, initiator who just tears apart four on threes. Like you absolutely would not be able to put two on the ball right. ever uh, to take the ball out of Kyrie or Kevin Durant's hands. Um, it, it'd just be, I think that at act, that would actually be really lethal. It's just the question is like, would Ben agree to that role? Right? Like, is that, is that something he wants or is it going to be like a situation in Philly where, he wanted to be the point guard, and you know that that's what that's right. what his goals are. I mean, maybe because essentially James Harden was the point guard, you know, of the team, and if they swap places, I'm sure Kyrie would be fine with just focusing on scoring and getting buckets. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. I'm also not really one to think that Ben Simmons would necessarily be in the position to be asking for a whole lot. Maybe he is. Yeah. Because he's he's kind of, he, I mean, he's held out this long. He's trying to get what he wants. But it seems like if he were to land in a new situation, he would go in with the approach of him trying to do what he can. Like, you know, I mean, I don't think he would want to ruffle any feathers this early on in the process. But I could, I could be wrong. Well, and that's the other interesting part of this, too, is like the leverage dynamic here. Like, who who has more leverage here, Philadelphia or Brooklyn? Because... Like, on one hand, Ben Simmons hasn't played, and he's just, like, holding out, and he's completely tanked his value league-wide. I mean, James Harden is not under contract long-term. Like, he can leave this summer. He's clearly seemingly unhappy in Brooklyn and, like, a real threat to leave this summer. Um, Yes. You know, apparently sitting out with a hamstring injury right now, whether or not He's saying that he doesn't have a hamstring injury, and now the Nets are like sitting him out with a hamstring injury, which is strange. Um, I didn't know that. Yeah, he's apparently going to sit out tonight with a hamstring injury. So, like, I, I can't figure out like if you're if you're Sean Marks and you're Daryl Morey, like, I feel like if you're Sean Marks, you're asking for Tyrese Maxey and Matisse Thybul because you're getting one of the you know ten best scorers in NBA history, and then if you're Daryl Morey you're going, wait, no, like we're attaching Tobias Harris to this. And we're, you know, you we're taking the risk here because the guy that we're getting has three months left on his deal potentially before he can leave. And we're giving you a guy who's locked in long-term who's made multiple all-star teams. I I can't Mm -hmm. figure out the leverage there. Like who, who wins that negotiation? (laughs) Right. Because just think if, if, if no trade happens, who, is in a worse situation going forward because, oh, like you said, fun. it doesn't seem like <laughs> it doesn't seem like Harden's going to go back to 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 Brooklyn in the offseason, so they could potentially lose him for nothing. And then what, Ben Simmons is just going to sit out another year. Like no nobody wins in that situation. It's just that's why I feel like there has to be a trade that's going to be done because what otherwise what's what's the point of all this? You know? Yeah, I, I don't we, know. So we got one earlier today from Christian Winfield, who is the New York Daily News uh, Nets beat writer. 
uh, a fake trade that I actually really like. Like, I, I haven't totally been able to come up with, like, the trade that makes sense yet uh, for this, but this is the closest one I've seen. Uh, the Philadelphia 76ers get James Harden, Joe Harris, who Zach Lowe is reporting, like, may or may not come back this year. Like, it, he's getting a second opinion on his injury, and we'll see mm-hmm. whether or not he's back. Might have to get surgery. Another yeah, surgery, right? foot injury, right? Um. And then Bruce Brown and Javon Carter. And then the Nets get Ben Simmons, Tobias Harris, and Danny Green. And like, so the, the Sixers get off. So that's Tobias. Hard. You said that's Harden, Harris. Yep. Who else did you say? Bruce Brown. Bruce Brown and Javon Carter. Bruce Brown would have to agree Javon. to that deal because he's uh, on a qualifying offer right now. It's uh-huh. hilarious that the the guy who could stop that is Bruce Brown, not Ben Simmons and <laughs> James Harden. But he has a no trade clause because he signed the qualifying offer last year. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other side is Ben Simmons, Tobias Harris, and Danny Green. Uh, I, I kind of love that for the Nets. Like you, Tobias Harris is good I'm, at basketball. I'm That's pretty good, right? That, yeah. that. So you'd probably have a lineup of of. Kyrie, mm-hmm. Danny Green at the two, yep. KD or Tobias three four, and then you're, yeah. I mean that's a playing small Simmons. That's yeah. That's a that's a skilled lineup. Like it's, it's very versatile defensively. Maybe I mean Tobias is the one who would have to work the most on defense, but it's yeah. not like he's bad. Like he's terrible or anything. He's a bunch of wings with size. It's, it's clean on offense, especially if, if Ben Simmons is going to play that Draymond role. All, all four of the, the, the other guys can shoot and space the court. I think that would be a good deal for the Nets. And then if you're Philly, like, you get James Harden, which is what you want, like, apparently. Mm-hmm. Whether or not I think it's an amazing fit doesn't It's better really than matter. not having Ben Simmons. <laughs> yeah, right? Like, it's it's definitely a win there. And then you get Joe Harris, who's a phenomenal fit. You know, you put him on the same side with Joel Embiid. I mean, it's going to be impossible to use And you got Seth Curry there up. already, you know. You have Seth Curry there already. Um, all of that, you know, you're cutting in half the Tobias deal, essentially, with Joe Harris for a player that's like, I think Tobias is better than Joe Harris, but, I mean, it's not like a crazy level better. Like, he's better. Right. Um, you're getting another star- starting quality player at the very least. And you take the flyer on Bruce Brown and um, Javon Carter. I don't know. Like, that's a that's a deal that, like, across the board, like, ticks a lot of boxes. I don't know if it ticks all the boxes. But, and again, and you still like, have Maxi. You still have Thibault, right? Right. So you still have other options if, if something were to go wrong. Maybe if Harris doesn't recover correctly with his foot right away. You still have yep. other options. And, you know, a little, a little bit of versatility positionally. Yeah. I, kind of, I like that. Yeah. You still have Joel Embiid, who's maybe the best player in the world right now. So, mm-hmm. I, I, like, I don't I don't know who wins that playoff series. Because if you're the Nets then and you run into Philly, you're kind of screwed because you have nobody who can guard Joel Embiid. It's a, it becomes like an incredibly interesting dynamic to me. I don't know. I'm, do you trust, do you trust Doc Rivers versus Steve Nash? That would be quite an interesting uh, seven-game series of adjustments or lack thereof. (laughs) I was going to say. What do we think of Nash as the coach? I can't, like, totally wrap my head around it yet. Like, he's fine. I I don't think he's terrible. I just don't know yet. 
I don't know either. Like, yeah, I don't follow the team enough to where like I'm watching all of his his post game interviews and, and stuff. Yeah. But I, I don't I don't know. Like X's and O's, I don't really see. He's it seems like guys are just out there hooping, and they have really good players that can just hoop. Yeah. Um, I I don't know. I I don't want to discredit him for having his team at one point. Um, as the as the number one seed in the East for a while until you know Durant goes down and with Kyrie being out all this time and stuff. Obviously, he's doing something right. I, I I'm like you. I don't I don't know what exactly to like how to, how to grade him as a coach right now. Feels weird. Feels like he's like I don't even <laughs> recognize him like on the sideline. Yeah, very right? often. Like they never <laughs> cut to him. Like it's weird. Here's a good question. So you played at Creighton for Greg McDermott, who like he's like calling sets out every time down the court, right? Like mm-hmm. you're not really hooping. Like he's saying, "Hey, run this, run that, run this." Like almost every time down. Would right. you rather play for a guy like that, or would you rather play for a guy like you know, let's say Steve Nash, who is just letting you go out there and hoop? I wouldn't want too extreme of either. Yeah. But I would lean more towards the play calling. Um, you know, it can go very, it can go very left. Let's just say that if you just have a bunch of guys out there, they're just <laughs> trying to hoop. Now, if they're experienced enough and they're good enough to make the right reads on the fly and, you know, recognize the, the, the situation, what's going on in the game, then it's fine. Like, if you, you know what I mean? And, and you also don't want someone, you don't want to walk the ball down the court and look at the coach every play and try to draw something up, like, especially in the NBA. You know what I mean? In yeah. college, you might be able to get away with that because you're dealing with, with, with kids, relatively speaking, and you can out-scheme players and stuff. But these guys at the NBA, they, they've seen it all for the most part, especially at the highest level in playoffs and stuff like that. Um, but but I was a fan of, of how we played at Creighton. It was, it was a little bit of both, especially my senior year, you know, when we had Maurice Watson – Justin Patton, we had a lot of pros on our team, and well, Marcus Foster. You know, I mean, he's he's like the epitome of a hooper at the end of the day. Exactly, Marcus Foster, Kyrie, Kyrie Thomas. There was a bunch of us who, you know, we we're one of the best offenses because we had a balance. You know, mm-hmm. we scored ninety points by getting up and down and and playing fast and shooting threes. But then, you know, if we had to get in the half court, say obviously you saw the the Doug McDermott, Ethan Rocky years where you know. McDermott was always going to have shooters on the court and, you know, we were going to exploit a a slow moving four. Uh, We were going to pick and pop. We were going to run split action. We were going to get Isaiah Zierden open in the corner to beat the zone. Like you have to have a little bit of give and take. You can't be too predictable, but I I would assume that most NBA players would probably just prefer the hoop. (laughs) I would would imagine. (laughs) Sounds about right to me. When you're when you're that good, you're just like I'm good. Like I, I can figure this out, right? <laughs> you, you think you, I'm sure at that level you feel that you know more than the coach. I would imagine. Yeah, I mean it's and all yeah. of the power is shifted toward them at that level, right? Just because right. contractually and just in terms of like who matters, the players matter at the end of the day. Yep. So yeah. Um, okay, Let, let's uh, let's go to another weird situation. Let's just run through all the weird situations in the NBA. Let's go to the Los Angeles Lakers. Um, They are now 25 and 28. They are dealing with like guys coming in and out of the lineup, right? Like Anthony Davis, finally back. LeBron has missed a few games now. And, you know, 
while Lakers fans might wish that Russell Westbrook has missed a few games here and there, uh, he's the constant out there. And it seems like it's it's been a struggle to figure out you know who's going to be in the lineup. And then Carmelo Anthony hurts what I think was a hamstring last night uh, and plays yep. 11 minutes. And it's it's just kind of a mess. And it feels like they can't get any momentum moving toward a common goal in like – Part of me is part of me is like, hey, like, what do we expect here from Frank Vogel? And I've long been like, hey, we should like there's no way the Lakers should move on from Frank Vogel. He is a great defensive coach. He helped them win a title. They're dealing with injuries. They're dealing with a lot of different things. But then, like, he keeps playing like Avery Bradley, like 20 minutes a night. And Avery Bradley, like, just might not be an NBA player anymore. And... Like the rotations are weird and like he's playing uh, DeAndre Jordan some nights over Dwight Howard when DeAndre might be done. And like, I, I don't know, like, how, how do you assess what's going on with the Lakers right now? Like, it's it's impossible on some level, but like they have to do it, right. too, because we're coming up to that point in the That's, season where you have to figure the, it out. The ro- Like the roster is just so weird. Like, yeah, you, you just named off all those guys and. Like would it, would any of them be in legitimate playoff rotations? Like for for playoff teams, like you named Avery Bradley, Mm-mm. DeAndre Jordan, Dwight Howard. Like I, I mean, I guess Car- Carmelo would because he can shoot. Yeah. Um, but like then you you go further down. You got Trevor Ariza, um, Kendrick Nunn hasn't even played this year, right? I, I don't think he's no. he's even played yet this year. Yeah. It, it's just it's just weird and. I think I think that Frank Vogel could certainly be better with his decision making and his allocation of minutes, but I don't like this. It's not like his last year's team where you had a you had Caruso, you had Mark Gasol, like you had better players that knew how to play defense and were unselfish in, in a certain way. Like now, you're talking about these guys, Avery Bradley, um, all, all the guys that I just named, Kent Bazemore. Yeah. Like these aren't these aren't guys that. Like their record is a reflection of obviously LeBron and AD missing so much time, and then it's just a reflection of the re- the rest of the roster. Like these aren't guys that are helping teams win games, and I mean they're they're gonna try like hell to to, to move one or two or, or so pieces at the deadline because you don't just want to be an under five hundred team and then throw another year away of LeBron at age thirty seven. You know what I mean? So. I don't know. I mean, they're, they're, they're dangling THT quite a bit. They're trying to get anything for him. Um, I, they're not going to, unless they trade Westbrook to back to Houston and attach a pick to it or something. I don't think they're going to, they're going to be able to get off of him. So I, I, I don't know what the, what the resolution is here. Do you have any, any takes or any ideas of what could possibly happen to, to fix this situation? Well, like, let's for a minute like assume full health with the lakers it's lebron and ad and i like russ will play right like russ is gonna play minutes because we can hem and haw about russ being you know not a great fit for this team he's still a talented basketball player better than the other players on the team like better than the other there would be no reason for him not to be playing the fourth guy i think is pretty clearly malik monk you look since Christmas, mm-hmm. 
He's averaging 17 points, four rebounds, three assists with a two-to-one assist turnover ratio, hitting 49% from the field, 45% from three. Like that, that, that guy plays. That guy should play 25 to 30 right. minutes a night. He's on the he's, he's on the min. He's on the minimum too, isn't he? Which is crazy. Yeah. yeah. So that's, like that's that's wild. He's good. Like they found right. one there. Austin Reeves is helpful. Like, would Austin Reeves be in a rotation for the Sixers? Probably not. Like, I, I don't know. Like, maybe, maybe like their last guard, but probably not. Right. But he's mm-hmm. an unselfish he's player. Hurt. Yeah. He doesn't hurt them out there. I know that, like, you know, there's that play last night where, you know, he get he, probably overshoots the baseline on the last play and Reggie's able to spin back. But like a Russ probably should just be going for the double and not the strip B like you almost want Austin to cut off baseline there. Assuming you have the help with Russ and like Mm -hmm. Russ screwed up, but like he still probably overshot the baseline. It's, I don't know. It's a rookie play on some level too. Like, in like I don't know like do they want do they want that like auto principle where you know final seconds of a game you want that auto double in the corner I, I don't know like was that Russ I mean what mm. do you what did you think when you saw that play like I, I I was trying to figure that out like I don't necessarily know without having all the info for that to just happen for Russ to go over there like on the fly I think that was just a Russ decision maybe that's something that they practice or they preach yeah. during practices and during film that if this situation happened because it wasn't like the teams had just come out of a timeout, you know, like right. it was back and forth. They didn't have time to set up and, and talk about what was going on. That was just a reaction. Russ went over there to double. Um, like I said, maybe that's something like the way that Reeves went to cut off the baseline. Maybe that's something that they've worked on throughout the year. Like he knew right. someone was going to be there for that double. Otherwise I don't think he would just overshoot it like that and allow Reggie to get back to the middle. and no one was going to be there. Um, but Russ, Russ has to be there to to double. He can't let the defender split that if he is going to go because he committed. Like, he was going to double. He was going to help. Yeah. And you can't help if you don't help. Like, you can't help if you don't double because you're just you're just taking yourself out of the picture at that point. So, but I don't, I don't know what was talked – I don't know what their game plan is. I don't know what was talked about if Russ was even supposed to go over there in the first place or if yeah. he was just trying to make a basketball play and – with the clock winding down, whatever happened, it didn't work out. Um, but yeah, just going back to your Austin Reeves situation, like he he doesn't help. I mean, he doesn't hurt when he's out there, yeah. and I think that there's there's a real path to him getting more minutes, even if that's like cutting into THT minutes and like Baysmore yeah. played a lot yesterday. Like, I th- I think Reeves should be out there and. It, it, especially if the season is going the way that it is, like why not have him get out there this year and get that that game experience, get those reps, yep. and so you have someone in the playoffs, maybe in the playing games next year going forward, who is ready for these type of moments. You know what I mean? So I definitely think that he's he's someone that should be out there. And it's not like he's bad; like he can shoot, he can he can get to the basket and finish out the rim. He's a relatively smart player, IQ wise. It doesn't seem like he's ever trying to do too much. Uh, on on offense, he's in the right place, and on defense, like I think he he should be on the court more. Yeah, and then like you have Carmelo who can play fifteen minutes a night, twenty minutes a night for sure. Like he's a good enough mm-hmm. shooter, good enough offensive player. Um, 
like th- those are the guys I trust right now. Like maybe Stanley Johnson, but he might not be a good enough shooter to like really truly help. Like Trevor Ariza mm-hmm. has looked a step slow. Bradley has not been great. Um, you know the bigs have not been very good this year. I mean, I mean like Dwight hasn't been terrible. Maybe like Dwight could play ten minutes as a backup center, but they don't really have a center option right now. I, I guess like. What I'm trying to figure out is, like, who can they trust? And I think they just don't have enough guys they can trust, which means, mm-hmm. like, maybe you move THT and the Kendrick Nunn deal, that gets you to $15 million or so, and then you can make a deal up to, like, $19 million then. And, like, you can come close on some stuff, but... Try like you get almost like a Jeremy Grant or something like that. Yeah, but like there's they don't have the I don't assets. Know if Detroit to get, would want to do that. But. Yeah, like they, they don't have the assets to go get Jeremy Grant. Like they don't have the assets to go get Miles Turner. I don't think. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe you could get Karis Levert, but like he's not really a shooter, which hurts. Like I, I just don't know what they do. I, I think that's what I'm struggling with here. Like I, I just don't know what they do. Like all their biggest thing is that Russ has not fit. And they need to figure out a way to make Russ work almost at this point, unless you're moving Russ. But I don't know who's going to take Russ. It's pretty impossible at this point. Yeah, I don't. Do you I do you, do you think the the end? Do you think the end is near for Frank Vogel, or do you think he plays out the season? Because the reporting on it was weird a few weeks back. Where they're like, oh, he's yeah. he's we're gonna we're gonna keep an eye on him for a couple of games, and we'll see. But, like, he's not getting fired yet. You know what I mean? Like, it was weird. Yeah. I don't know. If it, it feels like it's on the legs, I guess. Like, on the last legs, maybe. Like, if they would go on a... You know, like, if they lose two more in a row, which would be, like, a four-game losing streak or whatever, they might pull They might pull the plug then. Like, that wouldn't blow me away. But, like, it, it'd be tough to fire a guy while LeBron's out, too, I feel like. Mm-hmm. Like, that'd be... That'd be kind of shitty, especially with AD coming back. And we haven't seen this trio play together all that much, even like since the start of the year. So right. I don't know I, if they fired yeah. him. I, I'm now at the point where if they fired him, I wouldn't be like, wait, that's a shitty decision. Like, what are you thinking? I'd be like, OK, maybe yeah. you need to do it. Let's uh, yeah. let's move on, though. Let's let's go to. I don't know. I'll just ask you this. Like, who are some of your favorite players to watch right now? Like, I really love watching Pascal Siakam. Like, that's where I'm at. Like, just the way he defends. Yeah, the way he defends, the way he fights on defense. Like, he's playing as the five-man a lot of the time right now for them. And then on top of it, he's, like, creating offense. He's back to being that, like, crazy mismatch nightmare. I I love watching Siakam so much. He's improved as a passer as well. Um who are just like who are he's a couple been, guys? That, he's yeah. He, Pascal has been passing the hell out of the ball recently. Yeah, like he. I know he had that thirty point triple double not long ago, but like even from there, just looking at his box scores, he's five, six, seven assists a night. Like over the past month, he's he's playing. He's, he might be playing better than he has ever. Like I know he made the All Star team um, in twenty. The, the the year Kawhi was gone. Yeah, he was um, second-team All-NBA be in 2020. Yeah, yeah, he might even be better right now, which is which is crazy. He, he started the season so late. Um, oddly enough, I think a lot of players that I'm enjoying watching right now are guards, and I'm I'm like a wing forward 
Um, <laughs> my all-time favorite, my, my all-time favorite players are like Paul Pierce, like Danilo Gallinari, like yeah. guys that have the skill and the size and can get to the mid-range and post you up. They can shoot. Like I, I love those kind of players. But like this year, man, I, I've just been loving Darius Garland. Like he's so crafty with the ball. And yep. congrats on him for making his first All-Star team and what 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 those guys are doing over in in Cleveland. But I mean, as a passer too, like Rubio goes out. Um, Colin Sexton isn't really like a point guard, point guard. Um, but him just having to to kind of do a little bit of everything, like he's still getting yep. his buckets, he's making threes, like he's 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 doing really well in the pick and roll. Like I'm I'm just super impressed. And every time that the Cavs are on TV uh, or, or on League Pass or whatever, like I'm I'm, I'm trying to watch that game because Darius Garland is really really fun, really exciting. Um, I watch the Clippers a lot, uh, being on the West Coast. <laughs> one one player that like. I never thought that I would enjoy watching is Luke Kennard. Like he's had some some pretty some pretty crazy games. Like like you forget that he like he can shoot and we know he's a shooter, yeah. but like he's he's probably one of the better shooters in the league right now, which is crazy to think of. He's getting the volume now. He's above I think he's above forty percent or at least around there every year of his career. Um so that's fun. Uh I like watching Scotty Barnes. I guess he's not a guard. There's there's your one wing. Love watching Scotty Barnes. Um, I didn't think he would be this comfortable as a jump shooter already. Not not even just like spot up, but him, yep. you know, attacking the closeout, taking the bump, spinning, reverse pivot, fadeaway jumper. Like I don't, I really don't know what his ceiling is, but like for him to be this good already is 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 scary for for the rest of the league. And I mean, clearly that's that's great for Toronto, but like. Uh, I didn't see this th- this coming. Um, yeah, th- those are the three that come to mind right now. There's the obvious guys like you know your Durant's and your you know Paul George when he's healthy. Um, the guy, the guys that everyone loves watching, but I feel like those are three that uh, wouldn't be atop of everyone's list, so to say. So uh, I'll point those guys out. I remember talking to Darius Garland when he was at Vanderbilt. They came out to USC. To play, I think it was like his third game. It was the game he got hurt actually, um, to like kind of end his freshman season at Vanderbilt, and then he didn't play again and went sixth overall in the draft. Right? Uh, I was talking to him about like the guys that he watches, right? And you've been in locker rooms, like you can tell, like who are the serious guys, right? Like who are the guys that like are constantly watching tape? Who are the guys that are constantly trying to improve, right? I was talking to him, and look, he's the son of a former NBA player, Winston Garland, like former point guard. You know, there there was probably a degree of you know real, real commitment there early on in his life. But his recall in terms of like, I asked him like who he's watching. The recall in terms of like the specific things that he could tell me that he's watching for on the court for a teenager was very impressive. He was like, yeah, like when I'm watching Damian Lillard. I'm watching like the exact way that his feet get to on that sidestep step back. And what this would have been four years ago, three years ago now, when Dame like had just started pulling out that sidestep step back. And it was relatively novel at that point. And I think guys were like trying to figure out like, hey, how to do this. And he was like mm-hmm. explaining to me like the drills that he's doing in order to 
be able to bring that into his repertoire, right? Or like explain the ways to me that like he sees D'Angelo Russell coming off of ball screens. That's kind of a sneaky one. Like whenever you play, did you got because you're pretty close in age, D'Angelo Russell, right? How, how old is he? Like 27, 20, I guess nah, he's like 25, 26, 26, something like that. Yeah. He's been in the league, what, six years now? Something like that. Yeah. Something like that. But like a lot of guards that I talk to watch D'Angelo Russell because they find his footwork. Cause he's not the best athlete in the world, especially right. at that point, because he'd had the knee injuries already. They watch his footwork and pick and roll because he's so outstanding in the way that he uses his body, particularly like he'll just lock guys in jail on his hip. And Darius was like explaining to me like how as a smaller guy, he was trying to um, use like his leverage and like bend a little bit more uh, to keep that center of gravity so that even though he wasn't as big as D'Angelo, he could still keep guys on his hip uh, in a real way in ball screens. And it's just like conversations that you have with guys that are somewhat uncommon in terms of just their professionalism, their mindset, like clearly um, like he was just uncommon. Uh, like it, it was a weird, it was a conversation that stuck out in my brain because of how uncommon it was that this kid was like so in tune with like his craft already at such a young age as a scoring guard. Yeah, and that doesn't surprise me. He's son of an NBA player. You know, usually when when you grow up in that environment, your your mind kind of operates a little bit differently. And it, it obviously it reflects your, to your encore production. I would, you know, I've never spoken to Jalen Brunson. Um, obviously, I got the chance to play against him um, a few times, and just seeing, you know, that he's not the most athletic, he's not the biggest, not the tallest, strongest, whatever. The way that he works his angles, he's very, very smart, very high IQ basketball players, and I would be interested in picking his mind on on similar questions as well on what he sees out the court because obviously. You know, he's enjoying the, the best season of his career. Uh, I've heard his name come up in, in trade rumors and stuff, too. But, like, I think as basketball players, we're always looking at the person who doesn't have it all, like, who's not naturally the most gifted, like, not the most yeah. athletic. Like, why I'm drawn to, like, a Paul Pierce or a Gallinari. Like, hey, these guys, they're not super fast. They're not athletic. They're not finishing at the rim. How, are, how is Paul Pierce's footwork so good that he always gets his shot off? He's slow. Yeah. Like, I, I think that we really, you know, are interested in those little things that are involved with the game because it's so perplexing to us how they're able to do these things. And, and you know, we want to add it to our game. So hearing that about Darius Garland and, you know, he's he's making it translate to the court as well. You know, he's doing the, the sidestep stuff, I'm sure, all the other people that he's he's watching, taking mental notes from and, and drilled, like he's he's doing all that, and has resulted in an All Star game. And, and not only that, like it's helping his team win. So that I think that's that's pretty cool. That's cool that you got to have that conversation with him. Yeah, and like it, it's not that like players like don't always try and take stuff from guys, right? But it's like it's that ability to take it, to implement it into what you do, and then to like ex- be able to explain it as well. Which, like, combining all of those three things, is it was, it was uncommon to me. Um, and, mm-hmm. I mean, fuck, Jalen Brunson's like a supercomputer. Like, that guy, like, might be, like, one of the smartest basketball players I've ever yeah, seen in my life. 100%. Unbelievable. He's really tough. He was tough to play against. He's, he's super smart, man. 
How, how did rattled. you figure that right. out with Jerry? How did you try and guard Jalen Brunson? Well, he liked to reject ball screens quite a bit, especially in the corners. But he's also left-handed too, so it kind of throws you for a loop. You know, you your, your approach to him is different than ninety-five percent of the other players that you're playing against because you think, okay, close out on him, take away his strong hand, whatever. But his strong hand is the opposite, and his pivot is the other way. You, you know what I mean? It, yeah. it just happens so fast too. And then, obviously, like we said, he's really smart. So when he gets Downhill, he might throw a couple pump fakes, a couple reverse pivots to get you flying in the air. Man, bring bring it back some memories. That whole Villanova team, man, just man, pump fakes, driving kicks, post ups. Just this is it's. They play similar to how they play today. It's just they probably had better better players than than, than they had this year. Um, but it's the, it's the same system. Um, Jay Wright recruits the same kind of guys. Yeah. High IQ, high character. All they care about is winning, and it, le- it leads to good things. Well, and all their guys play on balance. Like, that's the thing. Like, it, it's so hard to get them, like, going downhill to where they're out of control, right? Like, mm-hmm. you can try and harass them. You can try and, like, you know, disrupt them at the point of attack. Like, whatever you're trying to do, you're just not going to be able to do it. Like the, mm-hmm. whatever they do to teach those guys. And like, I don't, I don't really know, like I've never asked them like what they do to teach those guys and how they do it. But like to play on jump stops, play on two feet. I mean, it's, it's really hard. Like yeah. I, I get why it's so hard to like defend them. Like, it's just crazy. Um, yeah. Cole, I think that's, that's all I got. I don't think we want to get into like any more fake trades. Tell the people where they can find you. Tell the people what's going on. You do a great job at the athletic. Tell the people where they can find that stuff. I'm terrible. All right. I'm terrible. I'm terrible at this. I, I dread the moment of podcast where I have to plug myself because I'm all over the place. So you can find me on Twitter at Cole Hoops. That is also my Instagram handle. I'm always retweeting, uh, posting my stuff, uh, all of my work, which you can find at The Athletic, The Athletic NBA, whatever you prefer, uh, where I cover NBA from a betting um, angle, but also I have a, a weekly column where I kind of just talk about what's been going on throughout the week, what, whatever's on my mind, whatever I like. Um, then you can also find my, my other work at Bet for the Win, um, which is part of USA Today Sports, and that's a lot more betting focused as well. NBA, WNBA, college basketball, NFL, whatever, whatever sport you can think of is over there. So. Yeah, uh, if you if you want to check out my stuff, if you like it, that's where you can find it. Um, you can find me on the Game Theory podcast. I have a a, a past episode uh, from 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 opening week. Um, hopefully, more to come. Uh, yeah, I, I appreciate you having me on here. We'll we'll do this again soon. We'll do this again because um, I'll, I'll make sure and make that happen because it's always good. Uh, this has been the Game Theory Podcast. Please remember, rate, review, subscribe, do everything you can to support the show. Go subscribe on YouTube. Go subscribe on Apple, whatever. you, whatever. I don't know. Um, I talked too fast there, so now my brain is trying to catch up. Uh, we'll be back next week with some college basketball you know, draft stuff. We need to talk about Chet Holmgren because he is like turned into God uh, on the college basketball court in the WCC. We need to talk about a few other guys. So we'll be back with Matt Penny early in the week, and then we will do trade deadline stuff later in the week because obviously uh, the deadline is Thursday. So until next time, we will talk soon. Bye.